Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, you're sounding good today. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself feel comfortable. Make yourself feel right at home. It's great to see you. A special warm welcome if you're here today in church, perhaps for the first time. Maybe your friends invited you. Maybe you found out about us online. However you've come to be here today, it's amazing that you're here. In fact, you're our VIP guest, and our hope and prayer is that you would have a great Sunday experience with us here today at church. And you know, you've come on a, on a great Sunday because we're at the start of a brand new series, and I'm really excited today that I get to talk to you guys for a few moments, and we get to go into this, this message today, this talk today, and I'm really expecting just for God just to speak to us on an individual level. But you know, before I go any further, I think it would be great if we could just pray. So just wherever you're at right now, just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, God, that this is your day. Thank you, God, that we can come so freely and we can meet together as a church family. God, I pray that today that you would have an individual message for every single person here, that you would sow a seed into the depths of their hearts, that you would give them a new revelation, that you would give them a new perspective today, God. And I just pray that you would just help me communicate clearly. But most of all, God, I pray that you would help me get out of the way so that you can have your way today with each of us. And everyone said, amen. Amen. And you know, this new series is titled Stumbling Into Place. Stumbling into place. And as I was thinking about the title for the series, I was reminded about a time in university. In fact, it was first year. Um, I came from Ireland over to Liverpool and I did this really random degree called outdoor education. You're probably wondering, what even is that? Well, basically, in a sort of roundabout way, it was all these outdoor activities and then it was tagged like Bachelor of Science. Although it wasn't really science at all. It was all these outdoor fun activities like rock climbing, canoeing, kayaking. And one of the things we used to always do as well was mountaineering or hiking. And I'll never forget, um, first year was upon us and we were there. We're really excited, all of us freshers, to get to know each other. And our tutor said, right, we're all going to go off to the Lake District. And what's going to happen is we're going to break you into small groups and you're going to plan a route, an expedition for two days. And that's exactly what we did. We planned our route through the Lake District and there was about eight of us in the group. And if you've ever been hiking before, you'll know the frustration when you start off on day one, all the experienced guys who've got loads of know-how and all the equipment, they all rush ahead, right? And everyone else who really, it's maybe new for them, it's like, wow, they have like took off like dead fast, like what's going on? And then that's me at the back and I've got my new mate, Josh, and he's also from Ireland, so we've got a bit in common. And there's this other girl called Holly, and she's a scouser, and she's like super excited to do all this outdoor stuff. She's not really done much of it before, and she's really excited, and, and off we go on this expedition. And throughout the expedition, it was a bit strange because constantly we were trying to like catch up to these guys that were the experts and these guys that were the pros. And we get there, and it was the most frustrating thing ever because as soon as we got there, off they'd go again and no rest for us, right? So the first two days was very, very hard. The first day of two days was very hard. And the second day, it really started to become apparent that we were really dropping back. 
And Holly, this girl, was really struggling. And me and Josh were like, hey, like she's, she's really struggling. I don't know why. Let's see if we can help her out. So we went over and said, hey, Holly, can we help you? Like, can we take your bag a bit? Maybe just take a bit of that weight off that you've been carrying for two days. She was like, no, it's absolutely fine. No problem at all. I've got this. We're like, okay, strong-minded, Scouse girl. Let's just keep, keep there with her and keep supporting her. And uh, let's, you know, keep encouraging her. And we're walking along. And of course, the guys are... The experts are way in the distance, and there's me and Josh, and then all of a sudden, we heard this cry from Holly over here, and she's on the ground, and she's rolling around, and she's like, ah, ah, and we're like, what's wrong? And she's like, my ankle, I've rolled my ankle, it's really bad, and we're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So we said, okay, guys, you experts over there, why don't you go down? We're about two kilometers from the finish at this point. Why don't you go down, tell our tutors, let's get Holly some medical support because she's down. We don't know. Is it broken? Is it sprained? Not really sure. She's down. So we sent them ahead, and then we realized that actually it's starting to get a bit dark. I don't think it's a good idea for her to be here. There's a bit of weather closing in as well. And actually, we're in the biggest mountain coming off the biggest mountain in England called Scaffell Pike. And there was a bit of a grade one scrambled coming off. Not a problem in the daytime. So we decided, let's take Holly, let's pick her up. We'll stash our bags, mine, Josh's, and Holly's behind this big boulder. So that's exactly what we did. And then Holly hands over our shoulders and she hobbled off the mountain. And we got down and we got to our tutors and they were like, yes, we just rescued someone. Forget mountain rescue, like we've just saved someone. This is great. And then um, it dawned on me and Josh, it was like, oh, we need to get our bags, but it's about to get really dark. And I'm like, hey, Josh, maybe we should just leave this till tomorrow. We should stay an extra day. And he was like, what? No. Have you any idea how much money I spent on all that equipment that the university told me to get? No, we're going back up tonight. And I was like, are you sure, dude? And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll get there. Our head torches are in our bag. It will be fine. We'll get there. So off we went back, and luckily, we found our bags. At this point, it was getting really dark. There was no moon out that night. The weather had sort of closed in, so it was starting to get pitch dark. Thankfully, we found our head torches. We put them on. And I was like, right, great. We have a plan. I'm a bit knackered, Josh. And he's like, yeah, I am too. I'm a bit fatigued, but let's give it our best shot. We picked up Holly's bag. And I couldn't believe the weight of the bag. I was going like, what on earth is in this bag? And I'm like, Josh, we're going to have to take this in turns, bro, because there's no way I can do this with my own bag. So that's what we did. And we took it in turns. And then we started off on our descents, not too far, remember, just down this grade one scramble of the biggest mountain in England, Scaffield Pike. But that would have been easy in the daytime, but it really wasn't easy at all in the dark. And then what happened was my, my head torch just started to fade and my, my heart started to sink, if I'm honest. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is completely gone. Josh, have you got spare batteries? And he was like, these are my spare batteries. We've used them last night. Remember we set up last night just, just chatting and just, yeah, I was like, yeah, okay, right. Okay, so I've got no batteries. You've got batteries that are running out. And we keep on down this trail and then Josh's light goes. And at this point, it's a really dark time for us. It's completely pitch dark. We're at the end of ourselves. And I'm going, Josh, please tell me you've got some water. I've just run out. And he was like, no, bro, I've just run out as well. And then I was like, okay, let's just check Holly's bag and see if she's got any water. So we go over to Holly's bag and we open it up. And I go, Josh, we haven't got any water, but do you fancy um, something else? And he's like, what do you mean? And I pull out, I kid you not, 
two four-liter carton of milk, two of them. She had eight liters of milk in her bag. I'm like, why would you even need that? Who even does that? Like, this is crazy. I'm like, Josh, we don't have water, bro. Do you want some milk? And he just started fits of laughing. He was like, yeah, I'll take anything at this point. And it was funny because then we literally had to stumble down this grade one scramble, Scaffell Pike, the biggest mountain in England, and we managed to get to the end. But it's a funny story, right? It's a funny story. But sometimes in life, it can feel like you're just stumbling around in the dark. And if there's just one thing that we can all relate to and agree on today is this, is that life is just full of surprises. And sometimes you come up against situations that just feel a bit impossible. And maybe for you, maybe it was when your so-called dream Job just didn't quite work out how you planned. Like now you're sitting in front of your boss, you've had a few performance reviews, you're not hitting the targets, and you're having that dreaded conversation, and now you've been made redundant, you've been let go. And now you're asking yourself like, so what's the plan now? Or maybe it's your relationship. You've had a couple in the past and they haven't quite worked out, and you had real hope for this relationship, but it just didn't move in from that place of sort of dating to that area of more of a serious relationship towards marriage, and all your friends are getting married, and you're thinking, like, time's ticking on, what's going to happen? You're a bit frustrated, and you're wondering, so what's the plan now? Or perhaps maybe, maybe you did find the love of your life. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had kids, and then you find out about the affair, and now you're heartbroken, and you're devastated, and you're not really sure what to do, and you're just asking yourself, so what's the plan now? Or maybe you've tried really desperately to have a baby with your husband or your wife, and you've been trying for so long, and it's just not happening. You've even went down the road of IVF, and that's not working either. And all your friends are having babies, and you're trying your best to celebrate with them and be happy for them. The truth is, it's really hard. And you're wondering, you're asking yourself, so what's the plan now? Or maybe recently you found out about the health issue. You've sat down with your doctor, and they've given you a diagnosis that isn't great on paper, and you're struggling to comprehend what this will mean, and you're beginning to ask yourself, so so what's the plan now? And now this situation, whatever that might be, you find yourself in, now it's left you with the question, is there a plan for my life after this that's happened? Can this situation that I'm faced with kind of turn around for the good? And the title for this message today is this, so what's the plan now? So what's the plan now? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Like you find yourself in a frustrating situation, a situation that you didn't see coming at all, and you find it really hard to understand how you've ended up here, in this place, a place of pain and a place of confusion. And you wonder to yourself, is there even more for my life? Does anyone even care? Maybe you have a strong faith. Maybe you come to church week in, week out. Maybe you're in a life group. Maybe you serve every single week. But now, because of what's happened, you're beginning to ask yourself, how can I surrender to a God who allows this to happen? How do I surrender to a God who allows this to happen? And now you're just not sure anymore. And you're starting to doubt. And you think, maybe he exists. Maybe God is sovereign or in control. But does he care? And perhaps now in the wake of the situation that you're faced with, you're wondering to yourself, so what's the purpose for my life now? And you say to yourself, nothing can change now. It's too late for me. And you've said to yourself, this is it. This is all I can expect for my life. 
And this question, so what's the plan now? It just seems to pop up at different intervals of her life. And seemingly, sometimes it just pops up in these dark seasons of her life. And today, I want to give you a practical framework that you can follow to help you walk through these difficult seasons, to help you overcome these dark seasons in your life. And today's talk will hopefully help you at least give you a place to start. It will hopefully uncover a place to start for you today. And I want to give you four promises of God that we can find in the Bible. But the question is, are you really ready to receive them? Because if I'm honest, I've personally really struggled to see and believe these promises at different stages of my life. I've had doubts in the past, especially when I think about times and I've been like right in the thick of one of those difficult situations. And maybe you're thinking, but hey, aren't you the young adult pastor? Aren't you the guy like preaching right now? Nathan, how can you have at times not believed the word of God over your life? How have you at times stopped trusting it will all work out for the good? Well, I've, I've wrestled to find a response to these questions so much. And the truth is, for a long time, I didn't really have a response. I couldn't understand why these doubts existed. And I've finally been able, on reflection, I've been able to identify verbiage that helps explain the reason as to why these doubts and these lack of trust in God existed. And I think for many of us, this statement, it might resonate it might help us with our understanding today. I know it did for me. So when you're wondering, so what's the plan now? When you're at the absolute end of yourself, when you're not sure what to do, I think this statement probably captures how you might feel. The statement is this. I want to believe, but life won't let me. I want to trust, but I just don't know how. I want to believe, but life won't let me. I want to trust, but I just don't know how. And I see this response so much with people in my world. And even at times, if I'm honest, I've had the same response myself. When something bad happens, something unexpected, something you really just can't prepare yourself for, we want to believe, right, in God's presence and in his goodness. But sometimes we've just got too many unanswered questions. And I think there are a lot of us who once believed that God took an active interest in my life but now you're just not sure anymore. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. And today, I really wanna try and help us with this hopeless response. And today, I want us to lean in and listen. Even if this is all new for you today, if this is not typically what you do, I promise you, there are practical things that you can take away from this message to make you better at life and to make life better. And you've got my permission to take what you want from this message and leave the rest, but maybe, just maybe, you'll leave today with a new perspective in it all. And today, we're going to jump into a story in the Bible, a story of a man called Saul. He's also known as Paul. You see, in those days, back then in the Old Testament times, the custom of having dual names was very common. And so when I say Saul, I mean Paul, okay? Many people think he was given a new name by God, but Scripture doesn't actually teach that at all. Go check it out for yourself in Acts 9. But this guy, Saul or Paul, he actually wrote 13 out of 27 books in the New Testament. That's 48% of the New Testament. I mean, this guy was super devoted. He was probably one of the most devoted followers of Jesus like ever. But what I find fascinating is his story didn't start this way. 
In fact, this guy started out as the worst of the worst. He was actively hunting down Christ's followers to have them arrested and killed. And he had a vicious vendetta that wanted to like eradicate anyone or anything that had anything to do with Jesus. But something happened and something changed Saul forevermore. And it was an encounter with Jesus that he had. Let's pick up the story in Acts 9. I'm going to read through this. It's going to come up on the screen. Read along with me and stay with me. It is a long story, but I will get there. It says this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you were persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now, and I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight then he got up and he was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained strength. So there you have it. This is Saul's encounter with Jesus on, his, on the road to Damascus. And I, I love this story because I really think that today there are practical things that we can extract from this story. And today, I want to give us four key promises of God that we find in this story. But before I go there, it's really important for me to mention that in my own experience, each one of these promises in my life has only ever come to pass after a season of pain. And I've learned that there is purpose in the pain and that pain is necessary for growth. And I believe if we really want to take a hold of these promises in painful seasons, it's really important to know that because these promises can completely transform your life in these difficult seasons if you take a hold of them today. And the first promise I have for you is this. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And in the story in Saul, we read in verse 15, it says, but the Lord said, go. 
For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. It says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to everyone. I think it's pretty clear from looking at that, that God had a plan and a purpose, very specific purpose for Saul's life. But you have to love the timing of this verse when you read it. I mean, in this moment in time, think about it. Saul had proved absolutely nothing up until this point. But yet God still said he was chosen. Why? He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He wasn't qualified. And I love this about God because time and time again, just throughout the Bible, he has an ability to call out the unseen within us. And he has an ability just to tap into that hidden potential. And he also uses the most unlikely people. In this case, this is like an extreme opposite to what God should be looking for in someone. But it's all part of his beautiful plan, right? And if I was Saul in this moment in time, honestly, I don't think I'd have been able to see a way forward or a way through. I'd have probably told myself, right, that's it. The end is near. After everything I have done, after all the people and Christ followers that I've killed, that's it. God's going to like take me out and I'm going to have no future. Saul has no idea what's about to happen next. Maybe right now, maybe in your circumstance, you can't see a way forward. Like Saul, you're just blind. You can't see a positive future ahead and you're stuck in your current position with no hope. And here we find Saul after this encounter with Jesus probably asking himself the same question that we ask ourselves. So what's the plan now? And in my life, I asked this question when I was 13 for the very first time. It was really difficult because my mother had cancer and she battled through it and she got over the first cancer and she was going on different churches and she was sharing her story and people were coming to know Jesus and it was amazing. And then one Sunday she was sharing her story and she just broke down and she told the church, she said, I've, I've got secondary cancer it's come back. And we were heartbroken as a family and it was so hard. And I, I remember that moment. And then a few days sort of went on and I had a school trip that I was meant to go on. And my mom was like, you're going on this trip. You're going to go. I'll be fine. And right before I went, she fell and she broke her arm. And she got a really bad infection in the arm, but she didn't tell me. Of course, mom being mom and she wanted me to go off and have a great time. And I Went off and had a nice time and I, I came back and I was shocked when I walked into the hospital and I'd just seen her lying there on the, on the hospital bed, a shadow of the person that she used to, used to be. She wasn't herself and she was on morphine and the doctor said she only would have a few days to live. And it was really hard for me because I was an only child. I didn't have really anyone else in my world that I could talk to about this. And I fast forward a few days and it's 3 a.m. In the, in the morning. It's pitch dark outside. I'm looking out the street window because I can't sleep. And then the phone rings. And I knew right then and then that she'd passed on. And for me, in my life, that was probably one of the most darkest seasons of my life. It was almost like somebody had just turned the lights off in my life. And it was extremely hard. And it was extremely painful. And I didn't know what to do. And for a long time, I was really angry at God. I turned my back on God. I walked away from God. But somehow, some way, 
I found a way back. Because how many know that the end of yourself is often the beginning of him? And that's when I turned to God and I turned to his word and I, I read this verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a really famous verse in church. It's used a lot. But I think many people take it out of context slightly and I'll explain that later on. But the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a hope and a future. Can I just take a, a moment right now to remind you of this promise there that he does have a plan for your life, whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you want it or not, God has a plan for your life and he has brighter days ahead. God has a plan for your life. The second promise that I have for us today is this. God gives you hope in the dark. God gives you hope in the dark. And in the story of Saul, after his encounter with Jesus, we find him in verse eight, he's blind. And it says that Saul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he's blind. So Saul is completely in the dark. And he's probably at this point at his lowest point. What's fascinating to me when you look at the story, the scripture only records Saul doing one thing at this moment in time. In fact, it even goes as far as saying that he didn't even eat or drink. So this one thing that he did do must have been really important. And we find it in verse 11. It says, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. What was he doing? Saul was praying. And I can't help but wonder, like, what was he praying about? If I was to hazard a guess, it's, it's probably a prayer of forgiveness for everything that he's done wrong, for all the people that he's killed. It's a heartfelt prayer. It's a genuine prayer. It's a desperate prayer. It's hard to say exactly what he was praying about, but what is clear from the passage is God's response to his prayer. Watch what happens next in verse 12. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Do you see what's happening? God gives Saul hope in the dark. Something for Saul to cling to when nothing else makes sense in that moment in time. Something for him to believe will come to pass. Saul has a vision even though he was blind. It's kind of ironic. But God gave him a glimmer of hope for his future. But Saul was still held captive by this blindness for three days in this house. And I wonder today if you've ever been held captive. I wonder if the circumstances or the situation that you're faced with today seems to be too much. That this problem in life that you're faced with has a real grip on you. And you can't see a way forward and you can't see a way out. And I think for many of us, the worst type of captivity is often found in the mind. And often the reason as to why we're held captive in our mind is because we have broken thought patterns. And do you know that if you tell yourself something over and over again, day after day, that your mind actually tricks you into believing the lie is the truth. And this is dangerous. This is really dangerous because if you have constant negative thoughts over and over, day after day, eventually you'll start to believe the lie. Going back a number of years, I was held captive in my mind. I really struggled with anxiety and depression and nothing really made sense to me because on paper, everything was going great for me. I had a job I absolutely loved. I was really happily married to an amazing wife. 
and we just got accepted on our first mortgage, and we were so excited. And to make things even better, we were expecting our first child. On paper, you could say I was living the dream, but in my mind, it just seemed like the complete opposite. It didn't make sense, and it was because my negative thought patterns just spiraled out of control, and somehow, some way, my mind convinced me of the complete opposite. My mind had tricked me to believe the lie that said, next month, you'll be made redundant. And then the mortgage will fall through, and then Megan won't love you anymore because you can't provide, and you can't be a father. You can't even look after yourself. Are you kidding yourself? And if I'm really honest, it got so bad that I had convinced myself that everyone would be better off without me. And it seemed like, Somebody again in my life had just come along and had just turned the lights of my life off. And again, I didn't know what to do. It was an extremely dark season for me. And if I'm honest, it was probably the darkest moment of my life. I was literally at the end of myself. I didn't know what to do. But how many know that often the end of yourself is the beginning of him? And then I stumbled across this verse again in Jeremiah 29.11. Except this time, I also decided to read on, and I stumbled across verses 12 and 14. The truth is that this verse, Jeremiah 29.12-14, has always been my hope in the dark scripture. And it says this, it says, In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. Let me ask you a question, though. How do you look for God wholeheartedly? How do you find him? How do you find his promises? I think it's obvious at this point, but it's his word, right? All these promises that I'm giving you today are found in his word, And in his word that you you can look for answers that you just won't find in the world. And he'll reveal and start to illuminate the purpose for your life. And that's why it says in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. In fact, the message version says it even better. It says, By your words, I can see where I am going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. I've committed myself and I'll never turn back. You see, when you open the word of God, he speaks to you. His word illuminates. And more than that, it's a lamp to guide your feet. And then it becomes a light for your path. In other words, it shows you, the word of God shows you what steps to take. What's funny though is often I find that You can really only see the purpose for your life that God has for you when you look back at everything that he's brought you through. Every single step. And this is great for me because this gives me hope for the future and it should give you hope as well that he can and he will bring you through these dark seasons of your life. I promise you, brighter days are ahead and he does have a really good plan for your life. And the next promise that I have for us today is this. God uses broken people. God uses broken people. And the promise is so evident in this story of Saul. And I actually think that Saul was probably the most broken person ever that God could even find, 
right? Because after his encounter he had with Jesus, Saul was forever changed and he was used by God. Remember, Saul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He challenged, he inspired, and he equipped the local church, the church that we call home today. But all this accomplishment didn't come without hardship and pain. And I encourage you to read all about Paul's hardships and trials. You'll learn a lot. Go check it out. But on reflection in this passage we looked at in Acts 9, it says something that's really easy to miss. It says in verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And as you read the story of Paul, you see how God continues to allow Paul to be broken time and time again. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 12 as this thorn in his side. And the purpose of this thorn is to prevent him from becoming proud. And he begged God, God, take it away. And this is what God said. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. You see, God uses broken people. And if I'm honest, it took me a really long time to figure this promise out. For so long, I thought to myself, I had to be perfect for God to use me, especially when it came to building His church. But you know, I've never been so glad to be wrong about something. And during my season of restoration, I sought out some professional counseling. Can I just go on record and say, if you're going through it right now, mentally in your mind and you're struggling with mental health, the best thing that you can do is go and book yourself in and go and see a professional counselor. Because they have a way of helping you find answers for yourself. They don't impose their opinion. They help question your thoughts and motives to help you understand the root cause of the problem. My counselor asked me a question in one of my sessions I'll never forget. And in that moment in time, I had this response to her and it was just this. I just think I'm really broken. Something in my mind just isn't, isn't connecting. And she said, Nathan, do, do you think it's possible that God would want to use you to build his church even though you're broken? And I said, yeah, I mean, I guess I think so. I'm not sure, but... It might be how he works. And she went on to say, and, and Nathan, if you were broken and he used you to accomplish something positive despite the fact that you're broken, what do you think it would mean? I'm just stumbled my words. And I was like, well, I guess it would mean that it would bring him more glory. And she said, so Nathan, do you think it's possible to conclude that he chooses to use you because you're broken? And I was speechless and I began to cry. And the reason why I began to cry is I was looking down at my notepad on my lap at something that I had written. It was the only thing that I could even bring myself to write. And it didn't even make sense to me when I was writing it, but there in that moment, it just made sense. And it was a prayer. It was five words. And it said this, God, help me help people. God, Help me help people that are going through dark seasons like this, that have got thoughts in their mind that are so twisted and so wrong. Help me help people. And I shared this prayer with my counselor and she smiled and she said, hey, 
maybe he thinks the only way to equip you and to help you understand anxiety and depression is to bring you through it. And at this point, I wanna be really clear. God doesn't cause the brokenness. He doesn't cause anxiety or depression, but He allows it to happen. Why? So we might rely on Him. So He can use it for His glory. So He can help us help people. That's why it says, that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.4, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. You see, church, this is how God operates. He uses broken people like Saul. He uses broken people like me. And the good news is, He's gonna use you too today if you're broken. God uses broken people. The fourth and the final promise that I have for you today is this. God turns things right side up. God turns things right side up. In other words, He turns things around for the good. And our prayer, our prayer for you as a church throughout this series is that God would turn your situation right side up. That He would do something in your world so amazing that the only reasoning and the only rationale that you can come up with is God. What frustrates me sometimes, if I'm really honest though, is in church people often say, oh yeah, the kingdom of God, it's upside down. It's upside down, right? It's not my experience. The world and the people in it, me included, are upside down. The world, me included, are upside down. God gets involved in our lives and He has an ability to turn things right side up. In other words, He turns things around for the good of those who love Him. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what I've learned to be true in my life. And the keystone scripture throughout this whole series is found in Genesis 50, 20. It says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, what it's saying is what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. It's all a matter of perspective. And in the darkest season of my life that I was describing earlier, I picked up a book, an absolute incredible book that I wanna recommend to you today. It's a book by Craig Rochelle, and it's called Hope in the Dark. And this book was an absolute lifeline for me. This book just really helped me through it. And I wanna challenge you today, if you're going through something really difficult, go and buy yourself a copy of this book and read it. I promise you, it will just help you see things differently. And in this book, I stumbled across this poem at the back of the book. And honestly, it just impacted my soul. And I wanna share it with you because it changed everything for me. And the poem, it has some instruction. It says you have to read it twice. And as you, as you read it top to bottom the first time, it describes this negative mindset, this upside down mindset. And this is what it says. God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. We must realize that it is ignorant to think God answers prayers. 
Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It's a lie to say that God has always been there for me. And then I realize that no matter what I do, the truth is He doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is good? And after reading this, I was about to give up. I was about to give in. And I was like, that's exactly what my mind was telling me. All these negative thoughts. And I'd convinced myself in my mind that they must be true. And I started to believe the lie. And I was at the absolute end of myself. But how many know that the end of yourself is always the beginning of Him? And then it said to read it backwards. In other words, it said to flip it right side up. And let me tell you, something incredible happened. Listen to this. This is the right side up mentality. God is good. How can I presume that He doesn't love me? The truth is, no matter what I do, I now realise that God has always been there for me. It's a lie to say this world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world would fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers. We must realise that it is ignorant to think that man can save himself. And I know now, more than ever in my life, that Christ is risen from the dead. Never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that God will use my life. How can I believe that this world is a product of chance? This is the one truth in life. God is good. And you can't force me to believe that God doesn't love me. And today, church, you have to understand that God can turn things right side up. We serve a God who turns things around. All you have to do today is give Him permission to do it. And in closing today, if you're wondering, hey, so what's the plan now? Know this, God has a plan for your life. God gives you hope in the dark. God uses broken people and God turns things around right side up. Could you imagine what would happen in your life if you took a hold of these promises today? Can you imagine what would change? Can you imagine what would become easier? And perhaps today you feel like you're stumbling into place. I'm here to tell you that's exactly how God wants it. So we might rely and focus on Him. Church, time is gone, please stand. I'd love the opportunity just to pray for us today. And maybe right now you're in one of these dark seasons that I was describing. Maybe you can't see a way forward. And maybe you really wanna believe these promises that I'm telling you today, but you're just struggling to believe and take hold of them. Maybe something has a grip on you. And I'd love the opportunity just to pray for you right now if that is you. So all over this room, online, just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for these incredible promises that you give us, that give us hope in the dark, that give us hope in these seasons of life that just feel so impossible. And Heavenly Father, I pray over any person right now who's been held captive in their mind, who's held captive by depression or anxiety or any other mental health issue. 
And I ask God that you would give them freedom. I ask God that you would take that and turn it right side up in their world, that you would give them a new perspective, that you would just help them through this difficult season, help them understand that these promises are for them. And I pray, God, for any person in the room who just feels broken right now and who's saying to themselves, God can't use me. I pray, God, that you would show up in a big way. I pray, God, that you would show them that through their brokenness that they can help someone else. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before I go, the second prayer that I wanna pray today is to invite you to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never made that decision before. I wanna give you an opportunity right now to just know Jesus. And it's really simple. Jesus died on the cross for you, for me, to get rid of our sins. All we have to do is say sorry for that. All we have to do is accept him into our life and into our heart. So if that is you right now, you just need to pray this in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart and repeat it in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, God, I know all the things I've done wrong. I know all the things in my life that I'm not proud of. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive me. Help me wipe the slate clean. Cleanse me. Give me a hope for the future. I believe that your son Jesus came to this world, that he died on a cross for me so that I might experience relationship again with the Father. So I might experience that closeness to the Father. And I give you everything in my life and I ask you to just make a plan, a beautiful plan. And you pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.